Well, good afternoon, City Light. Merry Christmas. Yes, it is Christmas Eve, and that means that tomorrow we get to celebrate when God clothed himself in flesh and lived among us. We're going to celebrate Jesus' birthday. We're going to celebrate the day he was born, right? It's, it's kind of fun to celebrate when babies are born, right? We get to do that quite a bit around here. Um, as best I can tell at City Light, we've had a new baby added to our uh, church family about once every maybe three, maybe four weeks since we started. Uh, so we said there's all kinds of ways to grow a church, and having babies is one of them. You guys took that way more seriously than we thought, and we love it, all right? Uh, this is the newest guy added to the family. Uh, this is Ronan August Hughes. He was born just four days ago to Josh and Ashley. He's our firstborn son. Um, so we are celebrating that. I did a little bit of uh, research this week, and I found out that this whole new baby thing um, is not unique to City Light Church Council Bluffs. All right, If, if you uh, look at the statistics, in the United States alone, there are about seven or eight babies born every minute. That means um, there are about 11,000 babies born every day and about 4 million every year. All right, that's a lot of diapers and uh, onesies and birthday parties, right? That's kind of crazy, if you ask me. Um, that, uh, those numbers, once a month or twice a month here in our church, 11,000 a day in the United States, far more than that, the world at large, all those numbers uh, gathered together just show us that uh, having new babies is not an uncommon experience for mankind, right? It happens pretty regularly. And so if that's true, I'm left with the question, why are we here this afternoon? Why would we celebrate Jesus' birthday? He was born a couple millennia ago. He was born oceans and continents away from us. There, what makes him so different than the eight babies that were born just a minute ago, right? Why do we celebrate Jesus' birth? Well, I think the Bible gives us an answer to that question. And so I want to dive into God's word today. And we're going to do that in Luke chapter 1. Uh, Doug just read it. And in Luke chapter 1, uh, the author of this gospel of Jesus uh, takes us into the events that lead up to and surround Jesus' birth. And he starts by zooming in on one particular woman. Now this woman is a teenage girl who lives in a small farm town. How many of you know what it's like to live in a small farm town? right? There's probably a lot of us. I know what that's like. I grew up in a small farm town. My wife grew up in a small farm town. My parents and her parents all grew up in small farm towns. It's just like part of my family. And I would guess for many of you, you either have had that experience or know somebody who has. It's kind of the way it works in our neck of the woods. Uh, if you know what it's like to live in a small farm town, you know that that life is pretty good, by and large. I wouldn't have traded um, Stanton, Iowa, where I grew up, for anywhere else. But you also know probably that though it's a good life, a small farm town life isn't always that exciting. Right? If you want entertainment, if you want excitement, if you want things of that sort, uh, they aren't always available in small towns. 
uh, it doesn't always come to you. You have to go find it. So I remember growing up, um, I, if my friends and I wanted to grab a burger and fries or catch a movie or cruise a street where we would see any other living, breathing person, right? You couldn't do that in Stanton. It just didn't happen. We had to go somewhere else. Well, I would venture to guess that Mary's small farm town experience wasn't all that different. Most days were kind of the same. Nothing too exciting really ever happened. Nobody of much importance ever strolled through. But Luke tells us about the day all of that changed. Luke, in uh, the Bible, he says that God sent the angel Gabriel to speak to Mary. Now, it's not very many words in the passage, and so we can just breeze by it. We might gloss over it, but I want you to catch the enormity of what that means. There's uh, God sitting on his throne in heaven, in his glory, and there are angels surrounding him. And he looks at one of those angels, one of the mightiest among them, Gabriel, and he says, Gabriel, you are going to go to a small farm town and talk to a small farm town girl. God doesn't send Mary a text with some emojis. Hey, I got an update for you, Mary, right? He doesn't stretch out his long Doug-like arms and take a selfie video and update her timeline. He doesn't do that. He doesn't tell Mary, hey, I want to talk to you. You need to go visit the big city, Jerusalem, and enter the temple, the kind of classy place where religious people hang out, right? You don't have to go there. Uh, he, he didn't tell her to go there so that he would talk to her. He said, I'm going to send my angel, one of the mightiest among them, to speak to her in her small farm town. Now, if that's not exciting enough, if that's not out of the ordinary enough or abnormal enough, things just keep snowballing once Gabriel starts passing the message on. All right, here's what Gabriel says. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That's sort of shocking, isn't it? Like, this angel comes from heaven, uh, out of heaven, to this middle of nowhere, small town, to talk to an engaged, but not yet married, a betrothed, um, small town, teenage virgin farm girl, and basically says, hey Mary, don't freak out, but you're going to be pregnant pretty soon. Right? Now, even today, an unplanned teenage pregnancy is hard news. Right? That's, uh, that's a difficult uh, word to hear most of the time. In Mary's time, it would have been equally difficult, if not more. You see, if Mary would have been found to be pregnant before she got married, Joseph could have rejected her, called off the wedding, and not married her. She still would have had this baby, and she would have had to provide for him in a small town where there weren't many opportunities for young single moms to earn a living and provide for a baby. And so she would have struggled. Her son would have struggled. The people would have judged. And all of these hopes and dreams and longings that were filling the heart of this young woman ready to marry her man start changing. 
Now instead of a husband to provide for her, she has a son who she has to provide for. And everything starts looking different. You can imagine what this message would have provoked inside Mary. The thoughts that would have started to race through her head. But Gabriel gave her the grace of not much time to think about all that before he went on to tell her about the son that she would have. And so this is what he says. He, your son, will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, this is even more crazy yet, even more exciting yet. If an angel leaving heaven to go to this small town and talk to this small town farm girl wasn't exciting enough, if news of a new baby wasn't exciting enough, now the news of who that baby would be comes on the scene. And, and when he gives it, he says, listen, the son of the lowly small, small town farm girl will also be called the son of the most high creator God of all that was and is and is to come. He says that this baby born to the girl from the middle of nowhere will one day grow up and sit on the throne as the king over everybody everywhere. This baby that's going to be conceived inside Mary's womb uh, that would begin his life shortly as part of her life would one day sit on a throne that would never end. This is kind of crazy news. And if you put yourself in Mary's shoes, that's a lot to take in. Hey, I know not much ever happens around here, but you're going to be pregnant with the Messiah soon, right? If that leaves you with some questions, take heart. Mary had some questions too, all right? And, and I don't know what all questions swirled around in her head after Gabriel started talking, but the Bible records her asking at least just this one. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Maybe the most obvious question that could be asked after this. Uh, in today's language, it might have sounded like, hey, Gabe, I hear what you're saying, right? I know the story. I know who the one who's supposed to sit on King David's throne and rule over the house of Judah forever. I know that's supposed to be the Messiah. And I know that the prophet Isaiah said that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, so I get where you're going, I hear what you're saying, but I didn't know that I was going to be as involved as you're telling me I'm going to be, right? This is going to be me, and I got some questions now. I may be a small town farm girl, but I know how pregnancies normally work, all right? And this is starting to sound kind of abnormal, unusual. This is a very unique situation, right? How can this be? And Gabriel gives her an answer. He says... The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And how many of you are satisfied with that answer? Oh, got it. Thanks, Gabe. When I read that, I'm left wanting. Right? I think, come on, Gabe, that's like a non-answer almost. The Holy Spirit's going to be involved. I could kind of guess that much. It'd be like asking any of you kids out there, hey, what did you get for Christmas? And your response is presents. 
right? Uh, like, that's not what I wanted to know. I knew you were going to get presents. I wanted details. I want to know what's under the wrapping paper, what's inside the stocking. Give me more. I would guess that Mary, when she said, how will this be? She wanted details from Gabriel. How is God going to accomplish the virgin birth? How will I conceive? That's an odd thing. It's unusual. It's impossible. And yet you're saying it's going to happen to me. How? Well, I think as I've read this uh, passage several times uh, over this last week, as I've pondered this question, I think Gabriel plays more cards in his answer than we see at first glance. I think we get a little more insight than just the Holy Spirit's going to be involved. Uh, I started reading some commentaries that are just books of comments by guys much smarter than me, and a couple of them said that Gabriel's answer, it kind of echoes another passage in Scripture. It kind of resonates with what God did somewhere else, namely Genesis chapter 1. All right, so let me read these to you again and see if you see the connection. Mary says, how will I conceive? Gabriel, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In short, the Spirit will overshadow you. Okay, now Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And here it is. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Bible says that in the beginning there was nothing. The earth was formless and void. It had no shape, no mass, no life, no light, no activity, no vibrancy. It was just a void, a dark empty void. And when God looked out over that void and decided, I want to speak into it, before he spoke, he sent his Holy Spirit to go hover over it. Now, I would guess if there had been light at that time, the author of Genesis could have said that the Spirit overshadowed it. But there was no light then, and so there were no shadows, and so he hovered over it. And as the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep, God spoke. And as soon as he spoke, light and life and activity and vibrancy all burst forth for the first time ever. God created the heavens and the earth when the Spirit of God hovered over darkness, emptiness, a void. Now, that's Genesis 1. And we're in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, this teenage small town farm girl hears from an angel that she's going to be pregnant. And she looks down at her womb and what she sees is emptiness, a void. No life is there. No light. And she asks this angel, how will I conceive? And he tells her that God would send the Spirit to overshadow her, to maybe hover over her. And as God sent the Spirit, the light of God became the life of God, conceived as the Son of God inside her womb. 
And that new baby grew and developed into the boy who would grow and become the man who God sent to save all the world who would trust in him from their sins. He was the Messiah. And the same thing that God had done in the beginning to speak life into a lifeless, lightless void, God was going to do again by sending the Spirit to create life and light in a dark and empty void. He was going to renew life and restore life and reinvigorate life through Mary. Can you see it? Gabriel said that God was about to do some impossible things. And Mary asked how. And Gabriel starts with an explanation, the best that he had. Uh, hey, it's going to sort of kind of be like what God has done before. He's going to do that again. And then he continues with an encouragement. So he starts with an explanation. He continues with an encouragement. And this is how he ended. He said, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. All right, now we, we started out today saying that having babies come into the world is not that uncommon across humanity. It's a fairly regular occurrence. But we, it, while that's true, we could also say that it's a very irregular, uncommon occurrence for women in certain stages of life, right? Uh, namely, for old women and virgins. If you know even the very basics of anatomy and biology, you know that women in those situations don't have babies. They don't come into the world through women in those stages, right? And yet here, Gabriel is giving Mary some encouragement. He's saying, yours won't be the only impossible birth. You remember your cousin Elizabeth? She's old and advanced in years. She's never had a kid. She was barren. She is pregnant, six months pregnant with a son. I'm going to clue you in to the fact that God has already done the impossible. And because God has already done the impossible in Elizabeth, you can believe and know that God can and will do this impossible thing in and through you too. He literally ends by saying, for nothing is impossible with God. And so let me summarize. If I could summarize Gabriel's message, his encouragement to Mary, I might do it this way. Because God has done the impossible, you can believe that he is still doing the impossible. Hey Mary, because God already did the impossible, you can know, we can know, I can know that God is still doing the impossible. This is, this is who God is. It's what he does. When you hear that, does your skin maybe start to tingle a little bit? You start getting some questions like, is that really true? Is God really still doing the impossible? If he is, what impossible things, what sorts of impossible things is he still doing? Does your mind go there? That's where mine goes. And I want to suggest today that the answer to that question, what kinds of impossible things is God still doing today, is the same answer to the question we started out with. Why would we still celebrate Jesus' birthday? I'd answer them both something like this. 
God is still doing the impossible by shining light into darkness through Jesus Christ, his son. God is still doing the impossible by shining light into dark places through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, the good news of Christmas is that God has done the impossible. What Gabriel promised Mary happened. She did conceive. She did have a baby boy named Jesus. And that Jesus was and is the promised one that God sent to save his people from their sins. And that's the good news of Christmas, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on that God is still doing the impossible. See, that Jesus that God placed into Mary's womb is now still being placed into the hearts of all men and women who would trust in him. And I want you to know, I didn't make this up, right? This comes from God's word. Let me read it to you. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Okay, this is going back to Genesis all over again. That God who said, let there be light in the very beginning. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That same God, we're on the same page here, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that in the beginning, God looked out over a dark, empty, lifeless void, and he sent the Spirit to hover over it, and he spoke light and life into it. And the Bible says that about 2,000 years ago, there was a teenage, unwed, virgin farm girl from a small town who looked down at her womb and said, this is lifeless and empty, and God looked at that lifeless emptiness, and he spoke, he sent the Holy Spirit to overshadow her, and he created life and light in that dark place too. And now he says that that same God who's made a habit of speaking light and life into dark places is doing that still. When he looks out over mankind, his creation, and he sees your heart and mine, and he sees the darkness in it and the emptiness in it left by sin, he doesn't look at you and say, hey, uh, shape up, do better, try harder, or I don't want you anymore. When God looks out over his creation and he sees darkness and emptiness and a void inside human hearts, he does what he has always done. He sends the Spirit and speaks life and light into that dark place. To be more specific, he speaks the light of knowing God by seeing Jesus into our hearts. In just a minute, we're going to sing Silent Night, and it's, that song's lyrics are deeply rooted in this idea from Scripture. It says, Son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. He says that when Jesus was born, a new light dawned and shone into the darkness of human hearts. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen? And so this is where I want to wrap up today. Right? I've, if you've been around City Light Church for a while, you've heard us say that we are a gospel-centered church. It's at the center core of who we are. If you haven't been around City Light for a while and you're visiting, thanks for visiting today. I want to tell you we are a gospel-centered church. We just believe in the gospel. We're going to preach it all the time. We're going to sing it. We're going to read it. We're going to celebrate it. What is the gospel? We say it this way. 
It's simply the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. The simple gospel, that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And so why do we celebrate Christmas? Why are we here this afternoon? Because Christmas is part of this beautiful gospel story. It was the beginning of Jesus' life. See, he lived the perfect sinless life that you and I can't live. From that very first Christmas night until his last day walking on earth, he only followed his father, depended on his father, obeyed his father. He never rejected or rebelled the God who sent him. And so he lived the life that we couldn't live. We celebrate Christmas because that's when that life started. But as Christians, we don't just think that the gospel is that Jesus came. We say that the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And so we don't just celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And on Good Friday, we celebrate that Jesus didn't just live the life we couldn't live, he died the death we should have died. See, he got nailed to a cross, convicted, sentenced, judged as a sinner. Though he wasn't. And he hung on that cross until his last breath was breathed and his life left him and he died. And once he died that death, they took his body down and they laid it in a tomb. And after they put it there, they rolled a stone in front of it, effectively closing the gate on that prison cell, saying that your dead, lifeless, empty body will occupy that dark void of a tomb forever. We don't just celebrate Christmas and Good Friday, we celebrate Easter Sunday. Because what they thought happened when they closed that tomb wasn't the end of the story. There was a chapter left to be written, and that lifeless, empty body that lie in that tomb was the body of God, the same God who made a habit of speaking life into dark places. And as Jesus' body lay there, our God took up his people who thin. And he stood up and walked out of that grave. And so the people who thought that they were leaving an empty, lifeless body in a dark tomb, they were that that all got turned on its head. Because Jesus stood up and said, My body's not gonna be empty and lifeless forever. That grave is. And when he walked out of that grave, he made a way and sent an invitation to you and to me to follow him out of it, to know eternal life. That's what God wants for you and for me. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And so City Light, why do we celebrate Christmas? We celebrate because it's part of God's beautiful, incredible, impossible plan to save us from darkness by speaking life and light into our hearts. This Christmas, would you know that because God has done the impossible, we can live knowing that he is still doing the impossible today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's.